You're listening to the Changing Normal Podcast, where we strive to outdo the old normal and reject the new normal. And now your hosts, Owen, Dan, and Ben. Hello. Welcome to the Changing Normal Podcast. This is episode 32, and we are going to continue along with part two of our discussion about banking and all of the mind-melting information and facts and (laughs) theories behind it. But I'm pretty sure that Dan's going to lead the discussion in a bit more of a positive note or direction this week. So take it away, Dan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was listening to a really interesting podcast. um, One of the What Bitcoin Did episodes. I think this was from about a month ago. And uh, they were interviewing, I think it was uh, Caitlin Long. Mm, That was Um, a good one. Yeah, super interesting. So it piqued my interest because I didn't know there were people who were attempting to actually start uh, banks that ran on a different model mm-hmm. than fractional reserve banking. Although interestingly enough, Federal Reserve doesn't want this different type, this different type of bank. So very interesting that they had they're having to actually sue because they were denied uh, a bank license. Mm-hmm. You know. <clears throat> So it's brought new understanding to that, uh, you know, old comedians line. It's a, what is it? It's a small club and you ain't in it. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points. If you can tell me who that was, I cannot remember. It was before uh, my time. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. I should know. It was a president or something, wasn't it? No, I thought it was a comedian. Oh yeah. Are George Carlin. George Carlin. George Carlin. Oh, yeah. Owen gets the prize. <laughs> <laughs> you can send your sats to no. <laughs> Endemic Feeling 52 at Wallet of Satoshi. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <sighs> so the system they wanted to set up was uh, one where uh, they called it a full reserve bank. So instead of a system where the bank would uh, be extensively loaning and investing, they would hold customers' money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that provides a lot more safety. Based uh, profit model for the bank, um, since they're not uh, going out and hunting down profit from investment, then you may have to pay to custody with the bank instead. Um, so that may be a shift there. But it does provide more security in that the bank is not going to run out of liquidity. Right. Yeah. I heard yeah it's it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say it is a create an interesting comparison between the idea of the banks are holding your money and what we talked about last week, which is the banks are taking your money. <laughs> and mm-hmm. holding it as their money on their balance sheet. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh yep. it is it is a different different way of thinking about it from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the modern banking, like you said, it's not only taking your money, it's not only taking your money investment, investing it, it, but it's taking your money and using it as the reserve for their investment game where they have a very low ratio of liquidity to debits. Mm. And honestly, I, when I heard that episode with Caitlin Long and then researching for, you know, and researching, quote unquote, you know, watching videos, listening to podcasts and reading a few things, 
uh, I was honestly surprised that there were people trying to do fully reserved banking because I was kind of shocked to learn about how sort of fractional reserve banking worked when after, you know, being in the Bitcoin space for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's like realizing, oh, I think all of the banks in North America do fractional reserve banking. And then it was another kind of shock when I went, why, why would someone want to do fully reserved banking? Uh, <laughs> oh, this, this is actually encouraging. They must be a Bitcoiner. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. They are. <laughs> because that's a time of preference that's not very common anymore. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it did get me thinking about what would a more equitable system look like? And I think it, it's one where people who wanted to run a full reserve banking would not be shut down for political reasons. Um, so we would have uh, we would have options, I think, with banking. You could put your money in a full reserve bank where you'd have a lot more peace of mind about the security of that. You know, no danger of running on the bank when they actually still have all the money. <laughs> <laughs> But I would say I think there's still room, even in a just and equitable banking sector. But I would caveat that with, it has to be one where they do not get to create more money. Hmm. <laughs> I think a, a, a fair and uh, just fractional reserve banking is the one where they take deposits. They're open that those are time deposits. It's like, okay. You deposit money with me for a year. I'm going to loan it out to a business Mm. for a year. It's not going to be available for a year. Bingo. Yeah. You know, everything is upfront and honest. You know, it's very clear about there's no liquidity problem in that model either Mm. because it's a time deposit, not a demand deposit. And then that sort of banking model could, uh, could make a profit on the spread between what they charge for interest rates and what they give for interest rates. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of bank could offer you more interest than a full reserve bank could. So you might want to keep money with them to get a little interest on your savings instead of just, just keeping your money with a full reserve bank. So I think there might be market demand for both types of banking. But what is key to that is removing the ability for the fractional reserve model where they get to create new bank deposits. There should be none of that creation of new money, only transferring money yeah it's inter- it's interesting to think about what the solution for that might be because the first one that comes to mind is well you want someone to regulate it and you know who is that higher power because uh one of the things i watched in regards to how the how the uh united states and the canadian banking systems worked they talked about how the canadian banking system actually came out of the mm-hmm. uh 08 or 09 crisis uh a bit quicker and a bit easier because there was a lot stricter and tighter regulations <clears throat> excuse me around the whole sort of structure and schematics of how the system operated as mm-hmm. a bitcoiner that kind of makes me nervous thinking about tighter and stricter regulations on money 
However, cons- the consideration that it would be on the potential creation of money somewhat makes sense, but that's kind of the first thought that comes to mind when thinking about how to control that money creation sort of deal is a bit tighter regulations, but I'm interested to hear on what your thoughts Mm. are, Dan or Owen. The best kind of, Oh, go ahead, Owen. No, no, you say no. Okay. I think the best kind of regulation is self-regulation <laughs> because I think it's more reliable than a rule set. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I mean by that is I think the free market should be making decisions about what, uh, what organization, what banking organization has the highest integrity and track record. Mm-hmm. And I think this totally works in a system where the bank doesn't have the power over the money supply, where they're actually just a business and they don't have these insane godlike powers <laughs> to affect the whole system we run on. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, I'm trying to think, because I love history, I'm, I'm trying to think back in North America, you know, how we got because i mean originally it would have been a full reserve type of system um but it would Mm -hmm. be interesting to look into where that change actually happened if that is simply a 20th century thing Um, or if that had started to happen prior to going off gold last last time the the states had all their debts paid off was under jackson i believe in the 1800s and then I think the Fed came in and sort of rebooted what he paid off in the early 1913. Uh, shoot, what was what was the date? It was yeah, it was right around that time frame was when the Fed came in and started uh, revamping how the uh, the states did money. Probably and because then, of World War One. Okay. Yeah. And then just, you know, fun fact, the video I watched that laid out these facts uh, was seven years old, but uh, seven years old. Anyway, um, it was a 96, 96% devaluation of the dollar in 94 years was what, uh, I mean, that's probably worse now because of, you know, the unspeakable mm-hmm. in 2020, but yeah. Well, what you guys are kind of hitting on was like the relationship between the government and government spending and a central bank that lets them spend more money than they could collect otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was thinking more of, you know, your local bank had this, you know, you have this picture of, you know, this Western town in the 1800s and you, <laughs> You walk in off your farm from somewhere dodging, you know, all the dangers that go with that and walk into the bank and say, here's my, here's my little stack of gold dust. I prospected out of the stream or here's my cash because I sold some of my cattle or whatnot. You know, that was a small local bank that would have worked on a, I think would have worked on a zero reserve system. Like no fractional reserve, fully reserve, I mm-hmm. guess I should say. I don't know. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe there was like 
fractional reserve is a natural part of banking though, isn't it? Because like anytime you're lending out money, you likely have more debits on your accounts than you do have liquid assets. If you're lending it out, yes. The way to offset that would be to have all your deposits not on demand. But even so, you tend to, I would never say that it's normal to run at 100% liquidity. Even if you go back to thinking like uh, Count of Monte Cristo times, Mm. you know, where it's gold is the real money. Um, It's like bankers operated on reputation. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was very easy to fail if word get out that your investments were losing, and that you you weren't right. going to have enough liquidity to uh, to pay all your uh, depositors out. Right, but I guess when I when I say a fully reserved system, that I I mean they're loaning out of what they have uh, on hand. I guess that's what I was referring to. Not I'd say this whole zero money creation. Yeah, at the that's right. Level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was fractional in the sense that they couldn't necessarily, you know, give everybody every every penny because they had loans that they had given to people. Mm -hmm. But they at least weren't in the money creation business and having, you know, they they, they would be close. They could call in some loans and whatnot, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that's always the classic uh, uh, Western story trope, isn't it? You know? Mm-hmm. Farmers having a bad time, and but you know the bank wants his, their money. If they're going to call in and take the farm, you know that's the kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that really is a system where someone has the money, and no mm-hmm. new money can be created. You know, the bank is a middleman to take money from the saver and let someone else put it to work mm-hmm. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, really comes back to not your deposits not being on demand if someone else has the deposits. Because mm. it's, it's kind of having your cake and eating it too. If you as a bank can tell your depositor that uh, they can get their money anytime, but you're also loaning that money out in a 25-year mortgage, it just <laughs> the two do not go together. <laughs> it's a mismatched proposition. <laughs> It's so true. Oh my goodness. Yep. Just yeah, there's just so much so much stuff that is basically just mind boggling to think about. And it's just, you know, I drank from the fire hose when I got into Bitcoin and I'm drinking from the fire hose now, learning mm. about banking. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no yeah. pun intended. Yeah. So another thing, another thing I wanted to talk about is actually the whole, the central planning aspect. Um, And we know that uh, our base interest rate is set by the Federal Reserve and so on, or as a spinoff of that, your country's central bank, which reacts to the Federal Reserve. Um, So something I've heard people talk about is the cost of capital. And how important that is for a market to understand, you know, we kind of go back to the regulation of human behavior and that regulation of human behavior relies on information. Right. So in in that scenario, we talked about the the toddler burning his hand. 
the information was that was the pain, you know, so you have a useful information flow. We talked about how distorting that artificially, you know, if you could wave your magic wand, that that would actually have some damaging consequences because you're disrupting the flow of important information that would change behavior. So it's kind of the same principle when it comes to, well, what should money cost to borrow? And there's a lot of interesting factors because I would say our current banking system distorts this in two ways. One, through uh, a centrally planned interest rate basis. And the second one is the uh, inflation of the money supply. Okay. So it's hard to, hard to figure out what money is actually worth when those two things are being skewed by decisions of the Federal Reserve. It's like how much money is out there. So when you have to count inflation into the cost, you're going to want a bigger rate of interest. Whereas if it was if it was Bitcoin, how much interest would you want if you felt fairly confident in the credit of the person you you know say you say you loan 0.1 Bitcoin to somebody? Since it's not inflationary, doesn't that change the whole modeling behind what you would charge in interest? Hmm. In a deflationary yeah. money. That's true. If you get the money back a year later, it's actually increased in buying power. <laughs> so the yeah, demand right. to get 10% interest so yeah. that you're not just washing out, you know, net zero. Yeah. You know, the, the paradigm changes so drastically when you have a sound money instead of an inflationary one. It's pretty wild to think about. That That is wild. It almost then becomes a fee-based system. Where it's like, oh, well, we, we can loan you this much, and this is the fee for loaning you this much. Because the incentive isn't quite the same to, you know, you know you're going to get something back that's more valuable mm-hmm. than when it left. Um, so it almost then becomes just a, a fee for locking up the capital. Yeah, mm-hmm. very interesting. Very, that's a very, I've never thought about that before. That's very, that's, that's really interesting. Hmm. has i guess built-in interest you could say just mm. from saving mm-hmm. <laughs> guy yep. guy swan talked about uh something similar to that in the effect of like you know how inflationary versus deflationary and and uh and then he kind of started tying it into like prices and how prices uh are basically the indicator of um the strength of the the money being used and man he got so wound up he's like i don't want to know that you know, eggs are like $1,200 a dozen. It's like, I just want to know what the price is. And that's what the dollar is and blah, 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 blah. He's like, okay. <laughs> Inflationary, deflationary. You get back more than what you gave. Essentially what Nick mm. just said, but mm-hmm. made me laugh when uh, I realized that that's what we were talking about and just listened to something that was super <laughs> animated about it. <laughs> Awesome. Ah, you got to love a passionate take. Oh, it was very passionate. <laughs> he dropped the F-bomb in the opening <laughs> intro to the show. <laughs> I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a good one. because <laughs> He doesn't swear very much. But... Yep. Hmm. So to swing back to where I was at, would you say it's really just those two things that represent the unjust features of modern banking? 
the uh, centrally planned interest rate and the centrally planned ability to create new money. Is there any key piece besides those two? I think that kind of encapsulate things that I would feel we would definitely be so much further ahead. Even just taking out those two, that mm. changes the landscape of money drastically. Yeah, it really equalizes yeah. the mm. it, it, it for everybody. The crazy thing is, though, how would you even get there? I mean, as much as we could look at the positives and we could say, well, if if we had that kind of thing, we would have, you know, no manipulations of market. We wouldn't have the misallocation of capital. We wouldn't have the Cantillon effect, you know, some more equitable access to resources based on your skill. So it's like an innovative tech startup would have as good interest or as good access to capital as Google instead of Google just having an advantage simply because they're so massive, you know, some advantages for small businesses, you know, money that held value likely gains of value. Um, all of that could come if we could just straighten out the, uh, I guess, fraudulent design features of our current banking system. <laughs> I mean, your, your head is not supposed to literally explode during this episode, but. <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I think that's a really key point right there that when you say the word design. Thing is, the system as it mm. is now, whether it started out this way or not, currently it's designed to be this way. It's not designed to be. Mm-hmm equal for people with equal access to capital is designed to give advantage to certain people. And this is not to mm-hmm. be uh, anti-corporation, anti-rich people or wealthy people. This is not a socialist you. Yeah. We need to take down the, 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 the big corporations because they, it's not fair that they make money. I'm all for people making mm-hmm. money. And if you are skilled and you know, right place, right time and all that. And you, and you pull off something very successful and make a ton of money. Congrats. That's great. Mm. Um, but the thing is the system is designed to give certain people an advantage to make more money. And that's, that's a deliberate design. That's, that's not mm. a oopsie daisy. We made a mistake. Oh, well, I think it was definitely designed to do that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to try to perpetuate that going forward, which is mm-hmm. why people get bailed out. That's why nobody, you know, people, there are people that are too big to fail, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something I feel the corporations definitely take a lot of flack. Not that there aren't corporations who deserve flack. I just believe it should be accurately targeted for mm-hmm. things they actually did. Um, but like Jeff, Jeff Bezos, had nothing to do with the creation of the current system we have. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He doesn't have to pay reparations for a generation or two ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went there. <laughs> um, yeah, this was something that was definitely designed. Um, and if you go back into the history, you know, there's a bunch of different things that pushed us along the way, you know, multiple attempts to have a, a central bank in the U S and finally the creation of 
the Federal Reserve and the, I guess the empowering of the Federal Reserve in the Bretton Woods Agreement, which made it mm. kind of uh, fulfilled the objective started uh, on Jekyll Island. You got to wonder uh, how such a <clears throat> how such a thing as the planning of a new uh, banking system could have taken place on uh, something called Jekyll Island. Like, <laughs> you know, how, you know when they say uh, the history is stranger than fiction. Sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a hide in uh, there somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wild stuff. So what? What I was getting at <laughs> a minute ago. <laughs> Was as much as we can say these things should be fixed, the people who have the power are the ones uh, running the system and they are not incentivized to change it. So it's like you can protest them as much as you want. You can lobby as many legislators as you want. Uh, The power to create money is a higher power than legislation. You know, I I would almost say it's the, the most powerful branch of government and they're not elected. <laughs> hmm. Yikes. I think it kind of good. Then you go back to, uh, was it the economist uh, Friedrich Hayek? You said uh, the only solution would be uh, creating something that would, in a roundabout way, uh, fix the, the money problem. So a roundabout way comes down to adopting a sound money. Mm. I would say that is where we move from identifying the problem to identifying a solution. Yeah, because of the, the non-sound money that we use is incentivizing a perpetuation of all the problems with the system. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you can't yep. do that. You simply cannot do that with something that is sound money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a sound money wouldn't have the control of the supply in the hands of a few people. Yeah. You know, even if we said, uh, "Well, we want uh, we want our dollars to be uh, a sound money with a known supply," well, and you know, who, who's going to guard the hen house here? <laughs> <laughs> You'll see a lot of foxes put up their hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit. This is pro- you're probably going to get to this. No, nope. but- this is where we go free for all. Okay. What is the solution? <laughs> <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I want to come back to the word design because Bingo. Yeah. we've talked about design in the system currently. And if we want to look at something like Bitcoin, which has been designed, um, the design of Bitcoin as sound money helps to actually create this equitable system if it if it can be utilized as such and i think it's less uh much less likely to be corrupted than the fiat system Mm -hmm. because the fiat system like we had gold as a sound money many years ago and it was this moving towards a fiat money first backed by gold and then not backed by gold. But I think a Bitcoin, while in theory can still be a backing for a fiat, uh, I think Bitcoin, at least for the foreseeable future, 
because of its digital nature, allows people to hold it much more easy than gold. Uh, and so it's going to be much harder to fiat it into, uh, you know, a poor system again, because, you know, people are mm. going to try to go back to that. Even if we saw Bitcoin as being, you know, the basis for currencies around the world as, you know, some sort of global reserve currency. You know, there's going to be an attempt to create something based on Bitcoin that they then have control over to manipulate. But because of Bitcoin's digital nature, I think that that will be less effective than it is mm. right now. I could be mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Well, always I reserve mean, the, the key... right to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the key feature of Bitcoin is that it has it's a it's a breakthrough technology in that it allows for a level of decentralization in the mm -hmm. removal of a central control. I That's think right. we don't emphasize that enough even, that that is such a key part because any system that has a centralized mechanism of control, even if you like fully democratize it and uh, mm -hmm. different levels of government and break the powers down into as many different ways, there is still the fact that it's controlled somewhere centrally and that those who have the most uh have the most money basically have the power to work their way towards control of it. Um, and then once you start tilting the rules in your favor, you have that unfair advantage, that Cantillon effect, and you continually gain more and more power. Um, so decentralization is really a key. Yeah. To all of this. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't have anybody uh, able to work into a position where they have the political power to influence our money. I mean, I think that was maybe the inevitable conclusion or result of modern banking because we had the technology to do things that were really important, you know, digital mm -hmm. transactions, you know, transferring money all around the world. You know, that was a necessary evolution, a necessary step forward beyond gold. Mm -hmm. But gold did provide a natural regulatory effect because you couldn't just get more of it yep um so we had the technology to make money a better medium of exchange in a digital form you know it, it, it's definitely spurred on economic development but we didn't have the technology to regulate it properly we didn't have the natural regulation of gold where it was a physical element and you can't simply make more of it um what? It, answer me this. Tell me what yeah. you think of this, because I heard this and I, 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 I hate that it's kind of right. <laughs> ben knows where I'm going with this. Maybe I think so. <clears throat> there, there is an argument out there that says we only have the things we have in modern society. The 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 system like the system of medicine the the technology we have, you know, all these things because of our inflationary system. And that we would not have made the advances that we made in society, especially around technology and things like that, if we had stuck with a fixed monetary system. 
And that's put forth by someone who's supposed to be sort of a investment specialist, market specialist guy or expert. Um, and I like most of this guy's takes, but this one bothers me because I don't really have a good counter to it. In many ways, I look at it and go, yo, I guess he's right. But yeah, I don't know. So does that mean that life just stops? No, I feel like, like it may be to a sound, a sound or hard monetary system. The assumption, I think I, I heard a similar argument and <clears throat> basically it was like, well, if we go to a hard money and people know that it's just going to increase in value, like we were talking about earlier, you know, when you lend out a point one of a Bitcoin and you know, you're going to get it back worth mm-hmm. X amount of, you know, we, nominate everything or numerate everything in dollars um you know you're not gonna like why would people are just gonna hoard stuff um how are they gonna how are they gonna hoard it if they aren't going to work aren't consuming fuel food clothes like that stuff still has to happen it's just going to incentivize better prices so okay so my that's where my knee-jerk reaction goes and it continues with yeah maybe we have it because of it but could we have had it faster if we had stayed on a hard money oh my goodness english hard money (laughs) system well well one interesting thing that i just thought of that sort of counters that a little bit is that the industrial revolution which many argue, except for our most you know, recent, maybe in the last 50, 60, 70 years, was one of the fastest adva- technological advancement eras ever, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. The relative the, leaps forward. Yeah. That was based on a gold standard. Mm-hmm. And, and that was based on a gold standard. So mm-hmm. maybe that's a counter to that. I don't know. I mean, have we not seen the start of a degeneration in society since after World War World War Two, and the um, it Roosevelt that took the gold? Help me out, Dan. Mm-hmm. I it was, yeah. it was Roosevelt, wasn't it? Yep, it was Roosevelt who passed the legislation to uh, basically ban owning gold without a license. Right. Yeah. yeah. So my argument to whoever this financial person, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where your morals lie and everyone has morals and some standard of them, I would then argue that we are seeing a, a, a uh, morally debase debasing in society and have so because of an inflationary system. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I would say it's interesting to note that we haven't had a historical parallel comparison um, because the move to modern banking was a fairly universal one across the globe. Like we can't point to any place that right. stayed on the gold standard and said, okay, well, sure. we'll examine the, uh, the economic growth in that versus our economic growth. Um, interestingly, I have heard it claimed that uh, – Three of the countries who did not have central banks were uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Libya. And look where that got them. 
<laughs> All right. Now, to be fair, it was not the lack of central banking that dropped bombs on them, was it? Hmm. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> you might say that's uh, <laughs> sabotage. <laughs> um, okay, let, let's go back to this hypothetical the only way you can advance forward as fast as we have is by having the system that we do, which is saying that we have to use inflating the money supply, which is taking money from other people, right? Taking value. We have to take buying power from other people and reallocate it ourselves in order to uh, achieve the the highest economic growth to get the GDP as high as possible. Mm-hmm. So you're assuming Keynesian economics is right. Right. Okay. So I believe there's a bit of circular argumentation in there where you're saying, well, this is how economics works. Therefore this system was the best thing, but you're relying on that, uh, on that first point being true, that Keynesian economics is correct. Yeah, that's true. And you're also you're you have no comparison because who's to say that if we had continued the momentum out of the industrial revolution with and stayed on a fixed monetary or like a sound monetary standard that we wouldn't be colonizing Mars already or you know, you know what I mean? Like there there, <laughs> there is a you're comparing it to say, well, we couldn't have done what we've done without, you know, on the old standard. When the reality is we don't actually know what we could have accomplished on the old standard. So that's not, you know, we can't to, to make that claim, I guess, is a bit, uh, you can't refute it because there is no sort of proof mm. of anything else. Well, I mean, one aspect of it is modeling human behavior, correct? Mm-hmm. But I think if we look at the ways and unsound money changes human behavior. How does any of that contribute to more economic growth than the behaviors uh, incentivized by sound money? Hmm. So why, while at face value, it may say, well, yeah, we have some awesome stuff. And we also had this unsound banking system. So we must have got all this awesome prosperity because we had the unsound monetary and banking system. But... I don't see a lot of actual evidence to support that. If you look at the way human mm-hmm. behavior and money actually works, it seems to me that it's more likely that we have been greatly held back by mm. having an unsound money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, right? Like we, we don't know what we could have, what could have been accomplished by the world with a, if we'd stayed on a gold standard and going off the gold standard completely really is only 50 years old. And that's not a long time to really see how fast a degradation mm-hmm. we could have we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're we're watching the decline of the dollar fifty years uh, from that, and by decline, I mean the collapse of it as a as the world reserve currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. That to me is pretty evident. It might take another 10 years to fully mature, but it's definitely, definitely starting that downhill slide, uh, picking up some speed. So, 
Mm-hmm. That should be a warning, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the individual, that's. Yeah, I think something. Examining this closely, and uh, I think you should go away with considering what does this mean for me. Not uh, okay. We got to get out there and rally in the streets. It's what solutions <laughs> can I do? And I think I would say learn about Bitcoin. Learn about the aspects of the decentralization, that technological advancement. Learn about that. Learn about self-custody and sound money and what that can do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the short term, that is going to be the solution. And there may be a time someday where there are Bitcoin banks and you know there there is a whole system that's built around Bitcoin and... There will be technologies that allow you to then custody your Bitcoin in a safe response, you know, safe way. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'll be an old crotchety fellow probably if I'm still alive <laughs> saying, you ain't taking my keys. I'm holding it like I did when I'm back in the 20s. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but but there's, you know, so who knows what's going to happen in the future, you know, if, if Bitcoin becomes you know, a world reserve currency or, or something like that. But the short term intermediate solution for individuals is self custody. We know that, um, when the, when the custodial options are no longer stable and are no longer trustworthy, you have no option, but to self custody. And a lot of people like to use the, immaturity of bitcoin as a reason to not move to it to say Mm -hmm. yeah but i can't Mm -hmm. do this this and this with it no no you're right you can't because that we're in a period of transition and so there's going to be a time of i'm sure there was a time of transition there was a time of transition from gold to paper dollars you know from a commodity-based economy to a paper currency based economy as far as transactions you know we saw that in the in the 1800s that was that was happening and continued to happen um and we're now in a transition from a failing paper based economy that's purely paper based back i think back to hard money um though it's not going to be a clean transition for sure it's going to be messy. Uh, it's going to be messy. But, pains. but I think that's important to point out to people to say, hey, you, you don't get this, this super perfect switch. It's a it's a slow transition mm-hmm. and you need to be willing to roll with the with the punches or roll with the waves, however you want to phrase it, um, and take the best solution, understanding that this may be a temporary solution, uh, but it's the best option you have in you know at this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fiat money is a, a current of counterproductivity and one where your, your uh, life savings can end up in the hands of uh, other individuals giving mm. you little recourse. So Bitcoin is a tool for the individual who wants to move towards freedom. Yep. And to, uh, to quote the great philosopher and theologian, Adam Young, or otherwise known as Owl City, you know, you can uh, <laughs> roll with the waves or you can learn how to surf. And the surfboard is orange and has a big B on it. <laughs> <laughs>
got uh, we have some uh, some news articles in there, but maybe we'll save those for uh, for next week. Don't want to run too too long tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, folks. If uh, if you enjoyed it or you found something useful, you know, hit thumbs up, subscribe, share it with a friend, send us a comment or some feedback or something you'd like us to chat about and uh, kind of react to or whatever it may be. If you want to send that to changing normal at protonmail.com or uh, boostergram on fountain.fm. And if you're listening to this on one of the old fashioned podcast players and you're not on fountain, (laughs) you hate money. So uh, we're still working on Dan, (laughs) but uh Anyway, send us a booster game on there. Um, check out our YouTube channel. Right now, we've just got the uh, the podcast, but we've got plans for uh, a bit more focus on the show coming this year. So, anyway, keep your uh, your ear to the rail railroad track for that one because it's <laughs> coming, and the light is orange. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember, take small steps, be courageous, change your normal every day.